Hi, my name is John Kristen, and this is Out of Bounds, Daily Bruins Sports Podcast. All right, welcome back, everyone. Thanks, everyone, last week for listening, or two weeks ago. We took last week off, but we're back again. We have a, a fun show planned for everyone. We're going to talk about basketball. Basketball has some big games coming up. Um, we're going to preview those, and we're also going to save a little segment at the end for um, everyone's favorite sport, wounds water polo. But just to start off, I'm joined by Assistant Sports Editor Francis Moon. Francis, how are you? Hey, I'm pretty good. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Love to see it. Francis, have you ever been on a podcast before? No, I actually haven't. So this is my first time. Podcast debut. That was me two weeks ago. Good luck. It's it's harder than it looks. I'll, I'll just say that. But yeah, so we started with men's basketball last week. So why don't we start with women's basketball this week? Francis is the uh, women's basketball beat editor, just as I was last year. So we both have a bit of familiarity with this. So yeah, just before we get started with anything about like, the nitty gritty about women's basketball, Francis, I just want to hear your thoughts. Women's basketball is nine and six this year. It's their worst start in the last few seasons. How would you characterize this UCLA women's basketball season so far? Do you think it's a bit of disappointment? Is it bad luck? What, what do you think it is? Uh, yeah. So this season in general coming in, it was just a lot of unknown and mystery attached to it. You know, obviously Michaela Onyemwere was their best player for a couple of years and then she went to the WNBA, where she's doing really well, one rookie of the year, but that kind of left the team with, you know, not much scoring outside of Charisma Osborne. But when they signed, you know, all those graduate transfers, um, that was supposed to be, you know, like a fresh start and like a reset for the team after going through a season where basically they had like a quarter of their games postponed and got upset in the NCAA tournament. So I do think that it's a lot of disappointment, but a lot of that disappointment isn't really in their control because, you know, like um, one of the most important additions over the offseason was Gina Conti and her absence is very clear on the floor. Um, you know, both Charisma and Jalen Penn have like openly voiced that they don't want to really play point guard or aren't totally comfortable in that role. So I think that the lack of a true floor general is like their main problem right now. But yeah, in general, it's definitely been a bit of a disappointment the way they started with, um, you know, the expectations that were attached at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and it looked like they were starting to turn a corner there for a bit when they beat USC back-to-back games, swept the season series against the Trojans two straight years. Looked like they had some momentum, looked like they were starting to finally get a little healthy, um, and then obviously they lost. They they played a close game to number 8 Arizona. It was close throughout, but they lost by, ended up losing by 11, first home loss in the season. Um, but the biggest part of that game was, again, obviously you, you kind of touched on it with just injuries, but Charisma Osborne got injured, and that is a huge loss. She's really the focal point of that team. She really is like really like the entire offense essentially. So that was, that was a huge loss. And then um, with that injury, they didn't have seven scholarship players because of injury and they had to forfeit their game against Oregon. Um, that was supposed to be a big one at Oregon. Those are always fun, but it counts as a conference loss in the standings. And then they had to go up to Corvallis where they did end up having enough people to play, but they lost by 14. Another game that was close, another game, they weren't expected to win, but kept it close. And then um, just a, at the end of the game there, they weren't able to keep it together. Just how deflating do you think this this stretch is? Because obviously they had the back-to-back wins against USC, but then they lose to Arizona. Charisma gets hurt. They have to forfeit a game, and then they lose to OSU. So just on top of all the injuries, a lot of losses are stacking up. Just Do you think there's any chance they can get any of that momentum back as we hit the stretch around here coming up? Uh, yeah, so a lot of people were saying, like, including the players, that, you know, like, those back-to-back wins over USC may be a turning point for the season, and obviously that's kind of been derailed. Um, 
But those last two losses last week were actually the two biggest losses for the team this whole season, back-to-back. And with the forfeit, that's like three straight conference losses. So to fall from second to sixth in the conference within a week um, is pretty deflating for the team. But what makes it worse is the fact that, you know, in both losses, they managed to keep it close. Obviously, they were kind of um, outmatched without Charisma Osborne. But they managed to keep it close and keep the game within single digits and actually held the lead against Arizona without Charisma, who went down in the third quarter in that game. They had the lead up until the four-minute mark, but they gave up a 12-0 run to end the game. So they kind of collapsed late. And then the same thing happened against Oregon State, where they were outscored 19-4 to in the last five minutes. Um, aside from a three at the end in the last second, that didn't really count. So Or that didn't really matter, sorry. So just... Like the theme of the last week was just, um, you know, they managed to keep it close and fight despite not having, you know, like a full personnel. But in the end, they just couldn't keep up. And, you know, they like really need to figure out how to close games better because their like field goal percentage defense gets a lot worse in the fourth quarter um, consistently across the season. So these past two games have definitely been really deflating for the team. And um, we can only see like how... They do without charisma, depending on if she doesn't come back next week as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, so that, so those injuries. Um, I know you, you mentioned them. Um, charisma it, it got hurt. Gina Conti has missed the entire season so far. People uh, like Angela Dugovich was supposed to play a big role. She's hurt. Jalen Penn is hurt. But the, there is a chance this team can get healthy by the end of the season. Correct me if I'm wrong, but none of those se- injuries have been announced as season ending, right? Um, yeah, only Emily Bressor is up for the season. Yeah, Emily Bressor tore ACL preseason, but everyone else still has a chance to come back. So this kind of reminds me of 2018-19. Obviously, that was before either of us were students here at UCLA, but I remember tracking them from afar a little bit. They struggled to start the season. In fact, this was the last time they started 9-6 and six overall was that 2018-19 season. They had a few losing streaks. It just took a very frustrating season. And then they were able to win 10 of their last 12 regular season games, pick up some momentum, and make the Sweet 16 that year. Everyone remembers they upset Maryland as a 16 in that tournament, and then they they fell to UConn, who's a great team, who beat them this year. So it was obviously all in all a successful season that year. So I think there is some hope for that. Do you, do you think there's a chance that this team can kind of piece it together as the season goes on, or do you think this stretch is just too much to overcome? Um, I do think there's a chance, but I think it completely just rides on whether or not Gina Conti and Charisma and Jalen Penn are all completely healthy, because those three really are like um, what keeps the Bruins back or like UCLA's backward going. You know, without them, um, their offense is kind of very stagnant. And like you said, in 2018, they had the same exact start that the team is having this year with not with a nine and six record. But another similarity is that they had two separate four game losing streaks, like one early in the season and then one early in the conference season. But they also had two six game winning streaks in the same season. And that's kind of how they managed to, you know, still make the uh, Sweet 16 and the um, NCAA tournament. But yeah, like similar to that this year, you know, every single loss they've had so far has either come before or after another loss, basically just saying that like every single time they have a loss, it comes in a streak. But on the other hand, like they do, they have pieced together a couple winning streaks, for example, like two weeks ago um, with the two games against USC. So I think that what it comes down to is whether they can get stronger contributions from the rest of their players, other, aside from, you know, Osborne and Imari Thomas, especially with Gina Conti out. 
So, you know, that season it was Michaela Onyemare, uh, Kennedy Burke, and Japrice Dean who kind of carried the scoring a lot of the nights. You know, like from the bench, no one scored more than 4.9 points per game. And like similar to that this season, it's been Charisma, Imari Thomas, and Jalen Penn. Besides those three, no one averages more than 6.2. So I think just that imbalance with scoring is what's really affecting them. And if they can get that figured out and get more contributions from someone like Dominique Onu, then they for sure can turn around and go deep in the tournament this year. Yeah, I think Dominic Ono is, is an interesting case because obviously we classified last year. So this was supposed to be her freshman year, but she played last year a bit halfway through the season. Um, and she really wasn't supposed to come in and be this team's point guard. Obviously, they recruited Gina Conti, as you said. They have people with Charisma and Jalen Penn, while not traditional point guards, they still carry a lot of the ball handling um, burden. But she really wasn't supposed to do this. And now, right now, with Penn, Osborne out, Conti out, she's really taking a lot of that ball handling. And um, I think she's done decent. She's not shooting as efficiently as you'd like. But really, it really is impressive to see how she's able to step up in this. And really, I think that just characterizes a lot of the team. It's how they've been able to fight through a lot of adversity this season. I know Corey Close always talks about that, that they don't want to think about it as adversity. But it, for, quite frankly, it is playing with seven players active players most games is adversity i know they don't like talking about that but it's interesting to see them fight but they have a chance really to to make a statement um against the, in their upcoming matchup they're playing number two stanford coming up last year they they played stanford in the pacto championship game that game wasn't close but historically they've played stanford pretty pretty consistently close i know my freshman year they had a big win um at, in palo alto so just broadly what are your expectations for the stanford game do you think they have a chance in it the defending national champion Stanford, I should say. Uh, yeah, I think that even if the Bruins were at 100% full strength, I think it would be a very tough game for them to win. But, you know, it all hinges on whether Chris Osborne and Penn can come back for the game. Um, because if not, then it's most likely going to be a blowout. But Stanford is just really strong down low. So um, whether or not Osborne and Penn are back, it'll be a very tough challenge for Imari Thomas. Um, you know, Cameron Brink, she's, a, she's the best player on their team in terms of, um, both offense and defense. She's had two 24 point games in the past four games. So she's having like a very strong stretch. And UCLA wasn't able to slow down Sam Thomas or Taya Corsdale against, um, Arizona and ASU, who were their starting forwards. So I think that Cameron or Brink is really going to continue the streak against UCLA. And what's interesting about that, uh, about Stanford's last game against Arizona last week is that most players or everyone else had off games, but Cameron Brink put up 25 on 10 of 12 shooting, and that was kind of enough for them to get past Arizona, who obviously UCLA lost to last week. So, you know, all of this is just pointing to a big loss. But yeah, it just comes down to whether they can contain their front court, really, um, whether or not Osborne and Penn are back. But either way, it'll be their toughest game of the year so far. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, a score prediction? How badly do you think they're going to lose, I guess? What, what margin do you think it's going to be? If it's the same team as Sunday, then I'd say they lose by at least 20. So I'd say like 46 to 66 at least. But if Osborne comes back, then I'd maybe lose by 10. So 56, 66. Interesting. Yeah, fortune's not looking great for them. Um, but transitioning here, they're not the only... UCLA basketball team with the top 10 matchup this week, uh, men's basketball playing uh, at Arizona, number seven, Arizona, that they switched spots in the rankings. It's funny. Last week they played UCLA was number seven. Arizona was number three. This week, 
After UCLA beat Arizona last week, UCLA is now number three and Arizona is now number seven. But yeah, this is a, obviously a big game for UCLA. The winner of this game gets sole possession in the first place. Right now, UCLA owns first place through a tiebreaker through their head-to-head victory. Uh, so it's really, it really is a huge game with tons of implications for the Pac-12 standings. Um, I, I know, Francis, you went to the Arizona game with me. You covered it with me. What was your impressions of the team? Because I know you hadn't been to a game yet this year before that one. So just watching them for the first time in that Arizona game, what were your impressions of this uh, men's basketball team? That was my first game, actually, since um, my freshman year, so in over two years. And just the first thing I noticed is just the vibe of the crowd is just completely different. You know, my freshman year was, well, first of all, not nearly as full as the Arizona game last week. But, um, you know, with the hype around the team, I think that that's one major thing that um, I noticed. But... With the team itself, you know, obviously the defense has been a talking point over their last three games, but especially against Arizona, who was obviously ranked top three in the country when they played them, um, they held them to their lowest scoring total of the season. And I think a lot of that just comes down to their perimeter defense. You know, they just done a really consistent job of locking down on three pointers from other team uh, from their opposing teams last week. Um, but especially against Arizona, you know, Kurt. Trissa is one of the top shooters in the com- whole conference, but he shot 0 for 12 in the game. And they also led, uh, they also held, um, Arizona's leading scorer, Benedict Mathurin, to 5 for 22 shooting. So I think efforts like that, if they continue, um, it'll definitely lead the team into the right direction going into the tournaments. Yeah. Obviously, the defense is, is what everyone's looking at. This is, they're ranked, uh, in the top 10 in Ken Palm right now in defensive efficiency. Uh, adjusted defensive efficiency uh, and they've held their last three opponents under 60 points they only gave up 43 points to stanford on saturday which is just incredible considering stanford had beaten usc twice this year and usc is a good team so their defense is just off the charts right now that arizona team they played last tuesday was it, it still is top three in the nation in all of the country in scoring they're averaging more than 85 points a game they played at one of the fastest paces in the country um, obviously they're the best offense team in the Pac-12 and UCLA was just able to shut them down completely. I, I think that the key thing with that, I think they were able to really shut them down. And like you said, it's a shooting. Kerr Carissa, just, just Tiger Campbell on that matchup, really, quite frankly. Um, 0 for 12 shooting from Carissa, 0 for 9 from beyond the arc, as you said. So I really think if he plays just a little bit better, I think Arizona, that game would have been a lot closer. There's a few mo- moments there and they got within eight points. It looked like they were having some momentum and then Creaser would miss a shot and then someone on UCLA would make a shot and that would really ch- change the tides. But if Creaser shot like two for eight instead of 0 for 12, I think that's it. that was a completely different game. Um, but also, I mean, UCLA, it's not like UCLA had a bad offense. A lot of times you hear teams say if they had played good defense. It means they played bad offense. They scored 75 points against a really strong Arizona defense and they really limited Christian Coloco, usually averages more than three blocks a game. Um, only had one block against UCLA. They're really effective in turning into like a possession by possession game. I think where, you know, obviously Arizona wants to run in transition. Tommy Lloyd, their new coach, is from Gonzaga. Spent twenty years, um, up in Spokane, and really got that from Mark Fury. Likes to run and likes to run in transition a ton. Um, but UCLA really didn't let them do that. They only had three fast break points against them. They really turned into possession possession game. Stretched the big out from underneath the basket and was really able to attack down low. Um, and, and they're able to make their shots, which is, um, impressive. So it sounds, uh, we're filming this on a Monday night. Obviously, the big things that are going to, uh, 
affect this game or who's going to be healthy for UC, for UCLA. As you said, with the women's team, they're dealing with injury. The men's team is also dealing with absences. Johnny Juzing was in COVID protocols since uh, last Thursday before the Cal game. Jaime Hawkins Jr. injured his ankle against uh, Stanford. And Jalen Clark has been in concussion protocol for the last week. So we're not going to speculate who's going to play and who's not. Obviously, the game changes um, a ton for them. But just thinking that maybe even obviously if Jaime comes back, he's probably not going to be 100%. Juzang may not have his conditioning back under him yet. So what are your expectations, Francis, for this week? You know, going into McHale Center is always a tough place to play. UCLA has won a few games in a row at McHale Center, so they do have some momentum on their side. But obviously this could be the biggest game in Pac-12 season this year for any team. So what are your expectations going into this game? Um just setting aside the injuries for now, what do you think um, could happen? What do you think is going to happen? Uh, yeah, like you said, the McHale Center is definitely a very tough place to play. Um, so just because they won last week, that doesn't guarantee that they're going to get a win this week. But at the same time, just with the momentum that they have and the defensive uh, the defensive ability that they're showing in the past, two game, past few games, um, I am being a bit optimistic and saying that I think they do have a really good chance to pick up another win you know obviously like Arizona is going to come back with a different game plan in terms of their offense and perimeter offense but this team has shown that it can rise up to the pressure obviously last season with the tournament and some big games this year some big ones this year so I think that they'll do so once again and it'll be a close game for sure but I think they can definitely pull out the win again yeah I think that's like you said they play up to big games but they've also been known to like play down to their opponents sometimes but really, that's what was most impressive last week is they really, that was a statement game for them. A lot of the tide was starting to turn on them after that Oregon loss. People were wondering if they were a top five team, if they were the best team in the Pac-12. And they really just punched Arizona in the mouth and really said, no, we're the best team in the conference. And now they're number three in the nation and now they have a chance to back it up. So I think this is a huge game. This might be the most important regular season game in the McCronin era. I'm excited for it. I, like you said, I think it's going to be close. I don't think UCLA is going to win by double digits this time around. I don't think Kirk Carissa is going to shoot 0 for 9 from 3 as he did last game, and that was really key to UCLA's win. So I, I think it's going to be close. Depends, obviously, with Juzang and Hawkes and where they are medically. But I, I think Arizona is going to come back and really, really, they're, they're not going to be happy about after that last game. They were supposed to be, you know, they were the top three team, and they they were mad that they got punched in the mouth, and they have a chance to make up for it. So I think it's going to be close. I think Arizona, if I had to put money on it, I'd probably lean Arizona right now, um, just given all the uncertainty around UCLA. But we'll we'll see. It's going to be a big game for sure. One of the biggest games, like I said, of the Pac-12 season of the McCronin era. Um, first place on the line. Uh, all the superlatives you can think about this game, they're there. So really, really interesting weeks to come for both men's and women's basketball, top five matchups on the horizon. Let's see what happens. But yeah, that's going to wrap up our basketball talk for right now. Francis, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Next up, I am going to be joined by assistant sports editor Sam Settleman, who was on last week, and sports senior staffer Kyle Bull to talk about women's water polo. Women's water polo is just starting their season back up. And these are our two water polo experts at the Daily Bruins. So I will leave it with Sam. Yeah. I mean, Kyle, you and I covered this team a season ago, coming off a big win in the semifinals in the NCAA tournament last year over Stanford, but then obviously a huge loss 
to USC in the national championship. So at least they got a little experience under their belt coming into this year. Lost a couple of seniors, but obviously added some big names in in Matty Musselman and others. So just talking about the expectations for this season, started off 9-0. and Where do you think this season lies for this team? Yeah, so just going back two years ago, back in 2020, this team had supposedly, quote-unquote, turned the corner. And that was the year that, that Adam said, you know, Coach Adam Wright uh, of both the men's and women's teams said that they can win the national championship. They have enough pieces to do it. And that was the goal. And in 2020, they were 19-2. and two, And of course, COVID-19 happened. And the pandemic cut the season short. And that was that. Uh, they come back the next season and they're ready and they believe that they can do the national championship again. But they had some stumbles in the regular season. They had an unusual loss to Arizona State. But still, they were beating USC and they were beating Stanford. Uh, in fact, they were the only team to beat USC that season. Uh, and they did so on senior day, which was a great moment for those seniors. Uh, so the team expectations are absolutely to win a national championship. Everyone believes that. As you mentioned, they added some good pieces. Maddie Musselman, uh, one of the best players in the world, but they also added four freshmen, and all of them have had 10 goals this season, which is a big contribution. So as far as just where the team can go, it's national championship or bust. You just mentioned Maddie Musselman, and we obviously have to start it off by talking about her. You know, she was here for a couple of years, set a bunch of records, and then she left to go train for the Olympics. Clearly that paid off because she's, you know, now a gold medalist again and uh, MVP as well. I know Adam Wright had said, you know, she's not going to be taking over every single game. Obviously, she has the potential to do so. But what do you think she brings to this team this year? Yeah, Maddie is not only among the best players in college water polo, but she's among the best players in water polo, period. Uh, she's the 2020 Tokyo Olympics MVP. She was the women's total player of the year as voted by Total Water Polo by more than 50 coaches, team captains, and uh, a public vote. She wanted to come back. She had the choice. Uh, obviously, Australian Bronte Halligan had the choice as well. She did not choose to come back, but Maddie did. And Maddie, noticeably missing from her resume, is a national championship. And that's what she came back to accomplish here at UCLA. Uh, she'll definitely be among the finalists for the Peter J. Catino Award for the most outstanding player in water polo. And she's a leader in and out of the pool. What not only does she add in the pool as a player, she adds from an IQ perspective and from a leadership perspective. Uh, senior Katrina Drake said that Maddie's ability to break down the game is among the best that she's ever witnessed and that Maddie can make it so that everybody on the team can understand even if maybe sometimes Coach Adam Wright can't. So Maddie has the ability to break down the game and and help everyone become the best version of themselves inside and out of the pool. Yeah, obviously Maddie's, you know, the MVP of this team probably if she plays the way that she's played so far this year. Um, but there's a lot of other pieces. Uh, you know, you're bringing back people like Hannah Palmer, Abby Hill, Ava Johnson as well. Um, who do you think can kind of be maybe the X factor for this team that can kind of help, you know, Maddie lead this team back to a national championship? Yeah, as you just sort of mentioned, right next to Maddie Musselman is senior Ava Johnson. And, and she'll be in the center of the pool wreaking havoc in every single game. She's top five currently on the team in goals. She's shooting 65%. Uh, but what she really adds is a team high 23 drawn exclusions and a team high in field blocks. Her presence in the middle of the pool is absolutely invaluable to the team. 
Another maybe not talked about name would be Fiona Kesis. She is very efficient. She's shooting 90%. She's got a perfect sprint record. She has five drawn exclusions and she's never been excluded herself. So Fiona's ability to impact the game is definitely maybe underrated. And one more name to keep an eye out for is Senior Valayala. She can impact the game in every single way. She has 10 goals, seven assists, five steals, any stat that is possible to get. Val is an impact player to watch. Yeah, a lot of those players you just mentioned, you know, they were with the team last year. And I brought it up earlier, but that loss to the USC in the national championship game, worst loss in the national championship in, you know, college women's water polo history. So that definitely stings. Um, and I know that's not the way they want to end last year. Do you think that brings any sort of motivation to the team this year? Yeah, definitely. Losing the way that they lost last year was not, I think, expected by anybody. I think they thought they were going to go in. They had already beaten USC and they were going to be able to do it again. And they sort of got embarrassed in their own home pool. And I mentioned senior Katrina Drake. She said her one goal left to accomplish in college is to win a national championship. Maddie came back to win a national championship. This team is as motivated as any on campus to win a national championship. And when we talk about college women's water polo, I mean, we're really talking about UCLA, Stanford, and USC. That was evident last year. And you know, UCLA got the better of Stanford in the semis, which was a little bit of an upset at the time. Um, and then obviously the loss to USC in the national championship and, you know, this year USC loses some vets. Stanford returns a bunch of Olympians, and they've got experience now as well. Who do you think is the biggest threat to this team as they try to win a national championship this year? Yeah, about two years ago, we had lost seven in a row to Stanford, uh, and we sort of have turned that corner since. Last year, we split games with them, although we beat them in the semifinals. And, of course, USC has historically, there's a rivalry there. Uh, and as I mentioned, we beat them in senior day but lost to them in the national championship. So I think that those two teams, as you mentioned, are by far the biggest threats. Uh, and of them, I would just say that maybe Stanford has a little bit more depth and a little bit more pieces to match up with UCLA and get a W this year. And then we'll end this off real quick with a prediction from you. I know we've talked about national championship hopes for this team, but I mean, do you think they'll reach that goal this year? Absolutely. And, and, and one other piece that they have is goalkeeper Georgia Phillips. She has the ability to take over games. Last season, she split time with uh, now-graduated uh, Jamia Bent, and Georgia is now sort of the full-time starter. She's leading the conference in saves and save percentage. Her ability on the defensive end to take over games is currently causing opponents to shoot 21%. I believe that they definitely have the ability to win the national championship this year, and upcoming next week, they have a conference game with San Jose State at home on Friday. And then they also have a matchup against number eight, Fresno State, the next morning and an exhibition with number one, USC, also on Saturday, uh, which happens yearly. And it's a good test to see where the two of the teams match up against each other. So there's definitely a lot of exciting stuff. You should show up to Speaker Aquatic Center if you can on Friday and Saturday to support number three, UCLA Women's Water Polo. And there's a lot of exciting stuff to look forward to. Yeah, and that'll wrap us up for the episode of Out of Bounds this week. A lot of exciting stuff happening in UCLA sports, particularly with basketball and water polo. I want to thank Kyle for coming on. I want to thank Sam for coming on. I want to thank Francis for coming on. Um, they were all great this week. Big shout out again to Zoe Willoughby, our podcast editor, for helping us get this off the ground. Our second episode in the last year and a half. Uh, very exciting times. So, um 
Out of Bounds is brought to you by The Daily Bruin, UCLA student newspaper. You can listen to this show and others by The Daily Bruin on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and a transcript for this show is available at dailybruin.com. Thanks, everyone.